0: The ancient map makers, I'm talking about before global satellite positioning, before modern equipment that is used in map making, and before much exploration, when they had gone as far as they could go, they had never gone any farther, when they would sit down to make their maps, when they got to the end of their exploration and of their knowledge, they would write on their maps, and you can see it over in Europe today, written in Latin there may be dragons beyond this point. Now they didn't know, they may have never seen a dragon. But they were afraid of the unknown. And I want to tell you something. Those of us in this place this morning, I want to tell you there are dragons beyond this point this morning. There's a lot of them. And this morning, we're going to look at God's Word and see how you and I can have victory over the dragons that are going to come into our life. And there is going to be many of them, as we find out. You know already, they come in all different shapes and sizes. The unknown is the unknown, and we're not sure what it holds for all that is going on. Now, let me tell you something that I want you to know. There is a problem with a lot of followers of Christ. And a lot of us are in this room right now. Let me tell you what it is. We believe the Bible. We believe it is true. No one could ever convince us any different. But you know what? We take the promises of God's Word. We take those wonderful passages of Scripture. And we will in calligraphy, or in stitches, put that particular promise, that wonderful passage, we will hang it on our walls, we'll put it on our desk, some people even put it on social media, and yet we never, never learn how to take the Word of God And appropriate it for ourselves. We don't know how to get it out of the theoretical into the practical. We love those passages. But friend, I want you to know they're not just passages to admire hanging on the wall. They are checks to take to the bank of heaven. And our problem is we don't do that. And so we can't have victory over the dragons in our life. We don't have that victory. So this morning, I want to teach us from God's Word as He teaches me how to have that victory. How to have victory over the dragons that are going to come into our life. We just window shop, don't we? You know what window shopping is. You enjoy doing it. You like to do it. But you don't ever buy anything. I heard about a man who said to his wife, said, Why do you call it shopping? You never buy anything. She said, why do you call it fishy? You never catch anything. <laughs> well, that's the way we are with God's word sometime, aren't we? We want to win the shop, but we never make it personal. We never say, this is where I plant my foot on the promise of God. This is where I'm going to live. And so this morning, I want you to see what God has to tell us. Joshua, if you do not already have your Bible turned to Joshua, the 14th chapter, I want to share with you what God's Word says, and I want you to see it. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read aloud from God's Word. We're standing in His honor. Beginning in verse 9, which is all we're going to read right now, but we're going to be in this chapter for a while. Listen to what verse 9 of chapter 14 says. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your feet has trodden shall be an inheritance. Now that word sometimes, in some translations, is translated a special possession. God promised this to you. Is what is being said as we read this passage inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now this is Caleb being spoken to. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God, this is your possession. It's given to you. I want you to know that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for our worship already as we have met you in song. How our hearts have been stirred at your greatness and your power and your love. And Almighty Father, you teach us in your word that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And so, Father, in this world of turmoil, of dragons, of discouragement, of so many difficult torrents against us, teach us how to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. Oh, God, that we would do that. And so I pray this morning that we will claim what you have already given us that we can have victory in the here and now, no matter what's happening. And I pray, God, you would speak through your word. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. As I shared with you a moment ago, as we read from God's word... This is Caleb's, Moses is made a promise to Caleb, and we see that in this passage of Scripture. Now let me tell you something as we begin to look at God's Word that I want you to see. We sometimes think, because old hymns and old songs used to teach us this, but it was wrong, we think that Canaan is a synonym or is an example of heaven. That isn't true, folks. And I just want to change your theology a little bit right here, if that's what you think. Let me tell you about Canaan. Canaan is a place of spirit-filled living. Canaan is a place of victory for the believer. But let me tell you something else about Canaan. Canaan is a place of struggle and battle. Now, heaven's not going to be a place of struggle and battle. But I want to tell you, my friend, when you decide that you want what God has promised you in your life, and I decide in my life, there's going to be a struggle. The enemy doesn't want you to have it. And so I want you to understand that that's what was happening here. Now, this, in this particular story, this man, Caleb, had been promised this particular, path, this particular piece of land. It was in Canaan, the land that God had promised to the Israelite children. And it was a place, little place, not very big, but it was southwest of Jerusalem. And God had promised this, this fullness ...to Caleb that he could have this piece of land. It was promised to him all the way back in the wilderness... ...when God had promised to give his people the land. And so God wanted them to have this fullness. All that he had planned for them. It was their possession. It was a reality. In fact, God's word tells us as we look at this... ...and you may know this from 1 Corinthians 10, 6 that these things happened as an example for us. So as we see what Caleb did in God's promises to him, he wants us to follow that, to emulate that, to realize that God still wants to do that today. I don't know about you, but I want to live where the breezes of victory blow. I don't want to be. Knocked down and dragged back and set back by a world going in an opposite direction that God is calling me to. I want to be filled with his presence. I don't want to live in the desert anymore, friend. I want to go and put my foot on the promises of God and live there. And that's what God is telling us that we're supposed to do that. We can have it now. So many times we've never claimed God's promises. We've never stepped out upon his promises. And we don't have what he wants us to have. And we go around pretty mighty pitiful when we're living like that. So God says, Caleb, Hebram is yours. I'm giving it to you. And Caleb latches onto that like a bulldog. He is not going to give that up. So I want us to look at some things that Caleb does, that his life is like, that tells us what's going on. Caleb was 40 years old when God sent out the spies. When God sent out those spies and they came back, you remember the story there, When he came back, they spent another 40 years in the wilderness. And where we're reading now, five years have passed since they penetrated the borders of Canaan. Caleb is 85 years old. And Caleb says to Joshua, You remember God promised this to me. Moses verified it. And I want to take it now. I want to take what is rightfully mine now. It was a place of milk and honey. It was a place of the clusters of grapes were larger than anything they'd ever seen. It was a place where the oil ran and the pomegranates grew and there were green grass and hill and waterfalls. It was a beautiful place. And God had promised it to him. Valleys and hills and all those things they had never seen out of the desert. And it was his. God had promised it to him. And he had waited 45 years to receive what God had given him. You remember when they came back from spying out the land? They said it is a place of milk and honey. It is a place that has all those things that God promised. There is pomegranates, there is oil, there is figs, there is all the things anybody could ever want. It's there. But there is also something there God didn't tell us about. There's giants in that land. And we can't take those giants. The Bible tells us that only Joshua and Caleb said we can take it. We can take it now. But the other ten spies said it cannot be taken, and they influenced the whole Israelite nation that it couldn't be taken, and God left them in the wilderness for another 40 years. You know what God was doing? He was waiting for some of them to die out so that He wouldn't have those people who said it can't be done in the group. Let me just say something right here. I just wonder... If there's people in this fellowship and there's people in other churches who God's just waiting for you to die so He can move this church to where it's supposed to be. Now, you may not like that, but I want to tell you something God will take you out if that's what it takes. Now, I want you to understand His Word, I don't want you to miss it. And so, He's waited all these years. And I want to show you from the life of Caleb what has to happen for us to be able to take what God's already promised us. What he's told us are possessions just for us. So how do you claim those? How do you take what God has given us and make it real and vibrant in your life? The first thing on your outline, write this in. We must exercise Caleb's character. We must exercise Caleb's character. Now, Caleb's character is important. Let me remind you right here as a side note or a footnote. The difference between character and reputation. Reputation is what you see in me this morning. You see my reputation. And I'm going to try to make it look just as good as I can. But character is what my wife Alice and the Lord sees in me. So it's his character, not his reputation that we're talking about. It's Caleb's character. I want you to see what his character really is. Notice again in Joshua, the 14th chapter. Look at verse 8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Now notice this part. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. He wholly followed the Lord his God. Look at verse 9. Moses said, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Look at verse 14 there in that chapter, 14. Notice what it says. Therefore, Hebram became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, now notice the rest of that, because he wholly followed the Lord, his God of Israel. Are you hearing that? I wholly followed the Lord, my God. He wholly followed the Lord, his God, all the days of his life. I mean, every inch, every ounce, every muscle, every fiber was given over to God. He followed God. That's what he's saying. James tells us that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and especially in his spiritual ways. He was focused on God. He was wholly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, verse 22 tells us, if your eyes are single or if they're focused, if your eye is focused then your whole body will be full of light. You, if you're focused on God, will be filled with the light of God. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 tells us, speaking about this, You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Totally committed to God. That was Caleb's character. He was totally, wholly, completely Following the Lord. That's who he was. And he wasn't intimidated by that. Let me tell you something, friend. God's not impressed with half-hearted following. It just really don't make any difference to him. God desires that we wholly follow him in everything that we do. Completely, totally follow the Lord. And I want to tell you, if you don't, Satan will intimidate you. He will intimidate you and he will get the victory in your life and the victory in my life. Their hearts melted with fear, God's word tells us, because they were not wholly following after God. Let me ask you, as I ask myself, what would it take for you to wholly follow after God? What would happen in your life, in my life, if we wholly followed after God? What would happen in this church if we wholly followed after God? What would happen in our lives? There are dragons out there. And God has promised us possessions, but we can't have them because we're not following, following, wholly following after God. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. From time to time, I'm going to tell you things about me that only God will lead me to tell you about me. For the last several months, been over a year now, so it's over twelve months, I finally got up the nerve to ask God in Judgment Day honesty, am I wholly following you? And I want to tell you. And I will tell you in honesty that as God dealt with me, I had to acknowledge that I am not wholly following God. I'm sorry to have to say that to you. I'm sorry you've got that kind of interim pastor. But I'm telling you the truth. And I want you to understand that I begin to realize that I was embarrassed by sin in my life because I was not wholly following the Lord. I had to realize that Satan had hold on me in places because I was not totally wholly following the Lord. And I said, God, this is what I want. I want to be like Caleb. I want to wholly, totally follow you. That's what I want what I want. And brothers and sisters of Christ in this place, I hope that's what you want as well. Dwight L. Moody, the Billy Graham of his day in the 1800s, was called into the kingdom of God at 19 years old and was called to preach shortly after that. And for the first year of his ministry, God used him, but God didn't use him a whole lot. And then Moody went back to England for a second time. And he relates the story that when he went back to England, he went out to a field where a man was holding a revival. A man by the name of Henry Varley. And he said, I heard Henry Varley say this, and it's on your outline. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to the Holy Spirit of God. Dwight L. Moody said, he bowed his head right there and he said, God, I want to be that man. And I want to tell you that was the turning point in the ministry of Dwight L. Moody, who God used to reach continents for him. Holy dedicated to the Lord God. What will God do with a man or a woman like that when we do that? Let me just say something, and then I'll leave this number one point. I want you to hear me and hear me well. Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Do I need to say that again? I think I probably do. Lukewarmness towards God is the worst form of blasphemy. We'd get up here and argue with anybody who said we'd blaspheme in God. And yet our lifestyles say we do. Let me give you the second thing. If we're going to claim what God has for us, our possessions, there's a second thing that we need to do. We need to exercise Caleb's confidence. To exercise Caleb's confidence. I want you to see his confidence. Because he had this character, God gave him confidence To do these things. I want you to look at verse 12 of Joshua 14. So now, this is Caleb speaking. Now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakon were there with great fortified cities. It may be, or I pray it will be, that the Lord will be with me and will drive them out just as the Lord said. With God's help, I can drive them out. This is an 85-year-old man talking. I can drive them out, and I know there are giants in that land, and I know about them, but I can drive them out with God's help. He is saying, you just turn me loose and let me go. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. Yes, there's giants that possess the land. And yes, they live in fortified cities. But I can take it. How can a man have this kind of faith, this kind of confidence, looking dragons right in the face? How can he do that? We look at our faith and we say, it's pretty anemic. I don't have that kind of faith. And we think maybe God just gives some people faith and He don't give the rest of us faith. And there's some people who are bold in their faith and some of us are not. But I want to tell you, God's Word says, Romans 12 verse 3, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. God gives everybody faith. He gives everybody faith. If your faith is anemic, there's a reason for that. And we see that as we look in this particular passage of Scripture. Of what he says. The Bible says some things about him. Notice these if you would. In verse 6. You know what the Lord said to Moses. Look at verse 10. Just as he. A capital H. Just as he. God said. Look at verse 12. Of which the Lord spoke. Three times God's telling us something right there. He's saying this. He's saying that he said. The Lord spoke. The Lord said. Now let me tell you something about that that you already know, but you may have forgotten. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let me tell you what faith is. Faith is not believing I'm big enough to do it. Faith is not saying this is going to happen because I know it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Let me tell you what faith is. You probably ought to write this down. Faith is finding a promise in God's Word and taking a hold of it and making it yours. Saying, I am going to hang on to this. I'm not going to just put it on the wall. I'm going to put it in my heart. I'm going to make what God has given me mine. I want to claim it. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to get what God's got for me. God's got some things for me here and now. I want those. That's what he's saying. Getting a word from God and acting on it. Acting on it. Making it yours. Why is it that some people can take a word from God and appropriate it? Take it out of the theoretical and put it into practical into their life while others can't? Listen. It's this kind of character embedded and sown in this kind of... that sows this kind of confidence in our lives. That's what it takes. It's that seed of faith that grows when we have that going on in our life. Goodness. Let me say something right here about faith. And I want you to understand it. we think faith, whether we have it or not, is really just what we think in our head and in our mind. But I want you to see something. Faith don't just come out of your head. It comes out of your heart. Listen to Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, evil, unbelieving heart. Friend, it's not just an empty head that makes you not believe God. I want you to listen to this. It's moral wickedness. In your heart, not to believe God, it's just that you can't reason it in your head. that's not it at all. It comes out of your heart. It comes out of your heart. and people who can claim God's promises have claimed His word and knows that. John seven verse 17, listen to this, if anyone will if anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now, Jesus said that. Now, you've read that verse before, but I'm going to tell you what that verse really means. You listen very carefully. When I totally surrender to God, I mean totally surrender God, give it all to God, then God will give me the confidence and the promises of His Word. It starts with me. When I totally do that, God gives the faith when I'm totally surrendered to Him. He'll do it for you, He'll do it for me, He'll do it for anyone. He gives us that faith. So Caleb had confidence, had faith that was sown in the character of who He was. Let me give you a third thing. If I'm going to take the possessions that God wants me to have, and I'm going to get them and claim them as myself, then I want you to know we have to exercise Caleb's courage. Exercise his courage. My goodness, this man had courage. Notice again in verse 12 of Joshua 14. He says, I shall drive them out. I'm going to drive them out. I am going to drive these people out. They're not going to keep me from what God's promised me that I could have. I'm going to drive them out of the land. How do you get courage like that? You know what we think courage comes from? We think it comes from a big fellow like Will over here. I was going to call you Bear. Okay. We think it comes from a big man like him. You know, if I'm big enough and my biceps are big enough, I can just have all the courage I need. I'll wade off into a host. Flu of them if I have to. Or we think if somebody's really got a lot of intelligence and they know how to think good and fast on their feet, then those people, they're not afraid of stuff. Friend, I want to tell you something. That doesn't get it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about courage to move on God's behalf, on God's Uh, when he gives us that desire and that will to go. And I want to show you some things in this. I want you to notice some of his enemies. I want you to see them. The first enemy that he has was grasshoppers. You heard me, grasshoppers. Write them down. Right there in that first bullet after number three. Grasshoppers. I want you to notice some of this. Now, some of this comes back from... Uh, where this event first happened, but I just want to share some of it with you. Uh, If you and I are afraid, I want you to know that didn't come from God. God says that he's given us a spirit, not of of power and love and of sound mind, not of fear. So when I have fear, it's not from God, it's from Satan. So the first one was grasshoppers. Notice again, verse 8, Joshua 14 And my brothers made the heart of the people melt. Made the heart of the people melt. They said, we can't take this. And they began to describe why they could not take this. Because there was giants. Now all this is back in Numbers 13. There were giants living in the land. And not only were these giants living in the land, but they lived in fortified cities. And when those Israelite spies went over into Canaan and they came back, they said, those giants looked on us like we were grasshoppers and we looked at ourselves like we were grasshoppers in their presence. That's how big and how tough they were. And grasshoppers have kept us from taking the land. I want to ask you something. Do you ever get a grasshopper complex? Do you ever feel like, how can we ever reach this city for Jesus Christ? How can we ever make an indentation on a world that's headed headlong to hell? In a world that is changing so fast, how can we ever do it? It's bigger than we are. I want to tell you something. These grasshoppers... God will give that grace and that strength and that boldness to us when we take our eyes off the enemy and the size of the enemy and we begin to look at our God. Let me tell you something about those giants. They didn't surprise God. He knew they were there. From the very beginning, He knew they were there. Those ten spies come back and they said, There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and we were in their sight as well. Grasshoppers. He'll, that complex keeps you from following God and from being what you've got to be, what we're supposed to be. God's not given us that fear. Let me tell you a second enemy they he had to fight, the giants themselves. They were still there, 45 years later when they got to the promised land. These were actual physical giants. A lot of people believe that they were at least nine feet tall. And they were big. And they were behind fortified walls up on a hill. Did you ever play king of the mountain? I did when I was growing up. Some of us guys would be roughhousing it. And you know the man who's on top, and if he's got the biggest muscles, he's sure got the edge on you. You can't hardly take him off that mountain. They had that. They were behind fortified walls. These were giants. These were physical giants. Tremendous size men. And in deference to the ten who said, we can't take it, Joshua and Caleb said, we can take it. We can take it. We can take those giants. There's dragons after today. There's giants coming in your life and in my life. They may be financial. They may be health. Who knows what they're going to be? But God is saying, You can take the giants when I tell you to go if you'll possess what I have given you. You can do that. The giants of fear and doubt and disappointment and discouragement and you name them there's all kinds of them he says you can take those numbers 14 verse 9 says do not rebel against the lord nor fear the people of the land for they are now get this word bread you read that right numbers 149 they are bread They're food for you. Can you believe that God would set giants in front of us and say, Kent, you go on, that's food for you. I want you to take them. Somebody said those giants were the breakfast of of these people. They'd get them. You know, like Wheaties is is the food for champions. Giants is the food for champions of God. You feast all that. What does He mean by that when we eat off of that and we feast on that? What God is saying is, if you do not have that which is difficult to pass and go through, you'll get lazy and you get easy. And you don't want to do anything. You just sit back and believe there's nothing else to do. And God says, I have placed these giants in your life so that you'll know you cannot do it without me. And you will come right here beside me and we'll do this together. That's what he's talking about. There's one other giant. I want you to see it. An enemy. Write this in. Gray hair. Now about 30% of you can listen real close in here because I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me and some of you we don't know, but it's really gray under there, isn't it? And so we're going to look at this. One of his enemies were gray hair. I want you to listen to what he says. Tremendous passage of scripture here. I want you to see it. Joshua 14, verse 10 and 11. Here's what he says. Here I am this day, 85 years old. Verse 11. As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me 45 years ago. Do you really believe that, Kent? Do you believe that man at 85 is as strong as he was at 40? At 40 years old, Caleb had biceps that bulged. He had keen eyesight. He had a sure footing. He could do all these things that a 40-year-old can do. And he comes along at 85 and he says, my strength is still the same. Do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Let me tell you why. At 40 years old, Caleb or any other 40 year old would never have been able to go and take those giants from behind those fortified cities up on the hill. Caleb was depending on the Lord to to have the victory and to be able to claim all that God had promised him at 40. And he's claiming and depending on God's strength now at 85, just the same. And I want to tell you, God don't change. That which he offered at 45, or at 40, he offers at 85, just the same. Isaiah 40, you know this. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall renew their strength. I want to tell you what God calls Grapevine to do and what He calls me to do and He calls you to do. He'll provide the strength for it, friend. And I want to tell you something. When you and I quit trying to do it on our own, It'll be a great day in glory. Do you know it? Listen, there is so much to do around here. None of us can do this in our own. This church is the person that you looked at in the mirror this morning. And if you and I don't begin to realize that it's by God's strength that we can do what he's called this church to do, we will be intimidated by the enemy till we die. One last thing on your outline. I want you to know we have to also exercise his conquest. Verses 13 and 14 tell us he took it. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebram to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebram became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. To this day, Because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. He did it. He took it. He took it because God had given him that character, God had given him those possessions, and then God gave him what he promised he would give him to have that. My goodness. Because of his courage. He gave, he got what he wanted, what God had promised. You know, he got all that fruit. Pomegranates, the grapes, the olives, the milk and honey, everything that God promised. I'm not sure about this, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think that fruit represents the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that's exactly what he's talking about. That fruit of the Spirit over in Galatians I believe that when you choose to step out and follow God he'll give you everything he has to give you he'll give you all of that he'll give it to you it'll be yours all of that the peace and the patience the understanding the love kindness goodness faithfulness all those things that you need to do his will he'll give you that Now, I want to ask you, don't you want to claim what God promised you? Don't you want that? I want that. I've missed out on so much of it. I want it. I want what's left in my life that God's promised me. As a church, don't you want that? Don't you want to have what God has said? This is your possession. I want you to have it. And while we sit and look at it and long for it, God says it's yours to take. It's yours to take. If you will begin to have the character of this man, the confidence of this man, faith of this man, you can have it, and you can too, you can take what God's promised. I don't know. I wish I could share with you, with the, the feelings of my heart, what I believe God is doing in my life and what I want to have. And I'm not telling you that I've arrived. But I want to tell you this morning from the depth of my heart that I do believe that if you and I will totally give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, every inch, every ounce, every fiber, if we will give that to the Lord, I believe God has possessions out there we couldn't even begin to dream of that are ours if we will take them. Would you do that? Would you do that? Let me ask you to stand. You know, I put there on the bottom of your outline, would you mean it? Would you say it? Would you mean it? Would you be willing to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I'm going to claim him as my Lord, and I'm going to make him Lord. Jesus is Lord. Would you wholeheartedly fall after God? Would you be willing to do that? This morning, there may be some here this morning that you've never received Christ as Lord and Savior.